Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to Catholic Light. This week, we'll read through paragraphs 1 through 25 of the Catechism, and then in the second half of the episode, we'll talk about uh, the fact that God does not need us and why that's great news. So we begin today with the prologue. Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. The life of man, to know and love God. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. For this reason, at every time and in every place, God draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, to love him with all his strength. He calls together all men, scattered and divided by sin, into the unity of his family, the church. To accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son as Redeemer and Savior. In his Son and through him, he invites men to become, in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children and thus heirs of his blessed life. So that this call should resound throughout the world, Christ sent forth the apostles he had chosen, commissioning them to proclaim the gospel. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Strengthened by this mission, the apostles went forth and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the signs that attended it. Those who, with God's help, have welcomed Christ's call and freely responded to it are urged on by love of Christ to proclaim the good news everywhere in the world. This treasure, received from the apostles, has been faithfully guarded by their successors. All Christ's faithful are called to hand it on from generation to generation by professing the faith, by living it in fraternal sharing, and by celebrating it in liturgy and prayer. Handing on the Faith, Catechesis. Quite early on, the name catechesis was given to the totality of the church's efforts to make disciples, to help men believe that Jesus is the Son of God, so that believing they might have life in his name, and to educate and instruct them in this life, thus building up the body of Christ. Catechesis is an education in the faith of children, young people, and adults, which includes especially the teaching of Christian doctrine and imparted, generally speaking, in an organic and systematic way with a view to initiating the hearers into the fullness of Christian life. While not being formally identified with them, catechesis is built on a certain number of elements of the church's pastoral mission, which have a catechetical aspect that prepare for catechesis or spring from it. They are the initial proclamation of the gospel or missionary preaching to arouse faith, examination of the reasons for belief, experience of Christian living, celebration of the sacraments, integration into the ecclesial community, and apostolic and missionary witness. Catechesis is intimately bound up with the whole of the church's life, not only her geographical extension and numerical increase, but even more her inner growth and correspondence with God's plan depend essentially on catechesis. 
Periods of renewal in the church are also intense moments of catechesis. In the great era of the Fathers of the Church, saintly bishops devoted an important part of their ministry to catechesis. St. Cyril of Jerusalem and St. John, John Chrysostom, St. Ambrose and St. Augustine, and many other fathers wrote catechetical works that remain models for us. The ministry of catechesis draws ever fresh energy from the councils. The Council of Trent is a noteworthy example of this. It gave catechesis priority in its constitutions and decrees. It lies at the origin of the Roman Catechism, which is also known by the name of that council, and which is a work of the first rank as a summary of Christian teaching. The Council of Trent initiated a remarkable organization of the Church's catechesis. Thanks to the work of holy bishops and theologians, such as St. Peter Canisius, St. Charles Barameo, St. Terubius of Mongrovejo, and St. Robert Bellarmine, it occasioned the publication of numerous catechisms. It is therefore no surprise that catechesis in the Church has again attracted attention in the wake of the Second Vatican Council, which Pope Paul VI considered the great catechism of modern times. The General Catechetical Directory, the sessions of the Synod of Bishops devoted to evangelization and catechesis, the Apostolic Exhortations Evangelii Nuntiandi and Catechesi Tridende attest to this. The Extraordinary Synod of Bishops in 1985 asked that a catechism or compendium of all Catholic doctrine regarding both faith and morals be composed. The Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, made the Synod's wish his own, acknowledging that this desire wholly corresponds to a real need of the universal church and of the particular churches. He set in motion everything needed to carry out the Synod Father's wish. The aim and intended readership of this catechism. This catechism aims at presenting an organic synthesis of the essential and fundamental content of Catholic doctrine as regards both faith and morals in the light of the Second Vatican Council and the whole of the church's tradition. Its principal sources are the sacred scriptures, the fathers of the church, the liturgy, and the church's magisterium. It is intended to serve as a point of reference for the catechisms or compendia that are composed in the various countries. This work is intended primarily for those responsible for catechesis. First of all, the bishops, as teachers of the faith and pastors of the church. It is offered to them as an instrument in fulfilling their responsibility of teaching the people of God. Through the bishops, it is addressed to redactors of catechisms, to priests, and to catechists. It will also be useful reading for all other Christian faithful. The structure of this catechism. The plan of this catechism is inspired by the great tradition of catechisms, which build catechesis on four pillars. The baptismal profession of faith, or the creed, the sacraments of faith, the life of faith, or the commandments, and the prayer of the believer, the Lord's Prayer. Part one, the profession of faith. Those who belong to Christ through faith and baptism must confess their baptismal faith before men. First, therefore, the catechism expounds revelation by which God addresses and gives himself to man and the faith by which man responds to God. The profession of faith summarizes the gifts that God gives man as the author of all that is good, as redeemer, and as sanctifier. It develops these in the three chapters on our baptismal faith in the one God, the Almighty Father, the Creator, his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit, the Sanctifier, in the Holy Church. Part 2, the Sacraments of Faith. 
The second part of the Catechism explains how God's salvation, accomplished once for all through Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit, is made present in the sacred actions of the Church's liturgy, especially in the seven sacraments. Part 3, the life of faith. The third part of the Catechism deals with the final end of man created in the image of God, beatitude, and the ways of reaching it, through right conduct freely chosen, with the help of God's law and grace, and through conduct that fulfills the twofold commandment of charity, specified in God's Ten Commandments. Part 4, Prayer and the Life of Faith. The last part of the Catechism deals with the meaning and importance of prayer in the life of believers. It concludes with a brief commentary on the seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer, for indeed we find in these the sum of all the good things which we must hope for and which our Heavenly Father wants to grant us. Practical Directions for Using this Catechism This catechism is conceived as an organic presentation of the Catholic faith in its entirety. It should be seen, therefore, as a unified whole. Numerous cross-references in the margin of the text italicized numbers referring to other paragraphs that deal with the same theme, as well as the analytical index at the end of the volume, allow the reader to view each theme in its relationship with the entirety of the faith. The texts of sacred scripture are often not quoted word for word, but are merely indicated by a reference. For a deeper understanding of such passages, the reader should refer to the scriptural texts themselves. Such biblical references are a valuable working tool in catechesis. The use of small print in certain passages indicates observations of an historical or apologetic nature or supplementary doctrinal explanations. The quotations, also in small print from patristic, liturgical, magisterial, or hagiographical sources, are intended to enrich the doctrinal presentations. These texts have often been chosen with a view to direct, to direct catechetical use. At the end of each thematic unit, a series of brief texts sum up the essentials of that unit's teaching in condensed formulae. These in-brief summaries may suggest to local catechists brief summary formulae that could be memorized. Necessary Adaptations. The Catechism emphasizes the exposition of doctrine. It seeks to deepen understanding of faith. In this way, it is oriented toward the maturing of that faith. It's putting down roots in personal life, and it's shining forth in personal conduct. By design, this catechism does not set out to provide the adaptation of doctrinal presentations and catechetical methods required by the differences of culture, age, spiritual maturity, and social and ecclesial condition among all those to whom it is addressed. Such indispensable adaptations are the responsibility of particular catechisms and even more of those who instruct the faithful. Whoever teaches must become all things to all men, to win everyone to Christ. Above all, teachers must not imagine that a single kind of soul has been entrusted to them, and that consequently it is lawful to teach and form equally all the faithful in true piety with one and the same method. Let them realize that some are in Christ as newborn babes, others as adolescents, and still others as adults in full command of their powers. Those who are called to the ministry of preaching must suit their words to the maturity and understanding of their hearers as they hand on the teaching of the mysteries of faith and the rules of moral conduct. Above all, charity. To conclude this prologue, it is fitting to recall this pastoral principle stated by the Roman Catechism. 
the whole concern of doctrine and its teaching must be directed to the love that never ends. Whether something is proposed for belief, for hope, or for action, the love of our Lord must always be made accessible so that anyone can see that all the works of perfect Christian virtue spring from love and have no other objective than to arrive at love. That brings us to the end of paragraph 25. We'll take a brief break and then discuss a little bit about what we just read. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. Before we discuss the first line of paragraph one, I want to make two references to last week's episode. Uh, when I was talking about in the episode one about cross-references in the margins of the catechism, I said offhandedly as an example, if you look at the cross-reference next to paragraph 25, well, in reality, if you look for a cross-reference next to paragraph 25, you will find no cross-references. So I said that offhandedly as um, an example. And then as I was reading through, I thought, oh shoot, there's actually not a cross-reference. So if you have a physical catechism in front of you, open it anywhere, you'll see these non-bold-faced italicized numbers in the left-hand margin of the left-hand page, right-hand margin of the right-hand page that then refer you to other parts of the catechism to develop, as we just read in the prologue, a theme uh, more deeply. So just know there is no cross-reference next to paragraph 25. Second thing I wanted to clarify from the first episode is uh, the existence of other minor catechisms. So I gave a handful of examples, everything from the Baltimore Catechism to the Penny uh, Catechism. I then referenced the UCAT, the Compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the US Catholic Catechism for Adults. So, just to clarify, those are a handful of minor catechisms published throughout the world, um, but those are only a few. So if you've heard of other catechisms and think, ooh, that wasn't mentioned in the first episode, um, that's because I only referenced a handful of, of minor catechisms. So just know that there are many other minor catechisms out there. So for today's episode, we're going to talk about that first line of the first paragraph, which reads, God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. This is a great place to start. God, infinitely perfect and blessed. It's often easy to take the Catholic faith for granted, uh, whether we grew up in, going to Catholic schools, learning you know, theological definitions and terms along the way, or some of us might have gone to Sunday school or CCD and learned the Old Testament stories of creation and Noah's Ark, the New Testament stories of the nativity, of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Many of us have a sense of the Catholic faith, but we might, and I include myself in this, might not appreciate the nuances or we might have been in the thick of it for so long now that we've become a little hardened to its beauty and awesomeness. Uh, whether it's that popular culture's understanding of God has crept into the Catholic faith, or it's that we mix up our understanding of God with those of other religions 
kind of unknowingly or subconsciously, or it's due to something else, we often think of God as needing us. So some of us might picture this powerful white bearded man on top of a mountain telling us to obey his 10 commandments or else he'll send down a lightning bolt. Uh, Some of us might picture a serious accountant type, okay, keeping a steady record of our rights and wrongs, and then periodically tallying up the two sides only to look sternly at us over his glasses and calculator. Return now to the first line of the catechism. God infinitely perfect and blessed in himself. First, he's not only perfect, as though he's achieved perfection after ages and ages of working at it. Like, good job, God, you finally hit the perfection mark. No, he's infinitely perfect. He's always been perfect, and he'll always be perfect. We, as finite human beings, uh, are bound by time and space. So we imagine walking along a timeline. God is not bound by time and space. He is infinite, and therefore above and beyond our timeline. So he's always been, okay, there's no, no beginning to God, and he always will be, there's no end, infinitely perfect. To say perfect is to say that there's no need, nothing is lacking. So God has absolutely no need for anyone or anything. Okay, as though in, in 1982, he thought, oh, if I create a little Becca Doherty, then I'll be happy. No, he, he was perfectly fine without me. We'll talk more specifically about the Trinity, the belief that God is three persons and one God, when we start reading section two of part one of the Catechism, and we go through each line of the Creed. Okay, but for just now, let's say this. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, have always been in a perfect relationship of love. So for all of eternity, the Father has been pouring out his love on the Son. For all of eternity, the Son has been receiving that love and giving it back to the Father. That love is so rich, so dynamic, so beautiful, so real, that we call it by another name, the Holy Spirit. This is big stuff, so we'll revisit it in later episodes. But for now, know this, for all of eternity, So no beginning, no end. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in a beautiful exchange of giving and receiving love, and they have no need for anyone or anything else. But the good news, the great news for us, is that God who is good shares that goodness. One of the characteristics of the good is that it's diffusive. It goes outside of itself and shares itself. The good does not keep itself to itself, okay, but goes out, outward, out of itself. We see this in our daily lives when something good happens. We excitedly share it. I'm engaged. We bought a new house. I got a new job. We're expecting. Uh, D- my husband Dan and I joke that we're pregnant for about two minutes and then we start telling people. A lot of people will wait till 10 weeks or towards the end of the first trimester to to share the news. We we see that second line on the pregnancy test and we're immediately telling family and friends. So when we tell people and people say, oh, that's great, you know, when are you due? And we say like nine months from now, they're like, oh, so you're like freshly pregnant. Okay, congratulations. So we we see this in our own lives that when, when good things happen to us, we very naturally go outside of ourselves and share that goodness. We share that good news. We don't keep it to ourselves. 
That's because it's characteristic of the good to be diffusive, to go out of itself, to share itself. So while God had no need of anyone or anything, at a certain moment, he decides to share all of that goodness and love and dynamism and richness and beauty with us. He creates us, the world, the angels, all of creation, not because he needed someone to worship him or pray to him or obey his commandments or because he wanted to kick back and look at the Grand Canyon or the Amalfi Coast or the Amazon and pat himself on the back and say like, dang, I'm good. Okay, look what I did right there. No, he has no, no need of any of this. Um, but because he is good, God is goodness itself, he goes out of himself and shares that goodness with all of us and all of creation. So again, God could have remained perfectly content within himself and never created anyone or anything and he would have been just fine. Okay, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit giving and receiving love for all of eternity. He could have gone on for all of eternity uh, enjoying his own blessedness. Instead, he shares himself and his capacity for life and love so that we too can share in it with him and with others. This is a complete and total gift. Okay. So God who has no need of us freely shares the gift of life with us. The catechism goes on to say, not only is God infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, but in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man. So first, that word plan implies that this is not haphazard. Again, it was not like God sat back in 1982 and thought, hmm, maybe I'll create a Becca Doherty. No, he had planned my life from all of eternity. God is intentional. He wills for all of eternity, each and every one of our lives and every dimension of creation. It's a plan of sheer goodness. Again, the good shares its goodness with all of us because it's good. And God wants us to experience and enjoy the goodness as well. I uh, taught with this wonderful priest, Father Matt, at one of the high schools in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And he used to go around uh, asking the high school students, why do you think God created you? And many of these students had been in Catholic education since they were little. And so they knew the theology class definitions and terms. And so they would answer him, well, Father Matt, God created me because he wants me to get to heaven. Or he created me to love and serve others. Or another student would say, God created me to be the best person that I could be. Um, some students would very honestly answer, uh, I don't know. So they were all good answers. And Father Matt would affirm each of those answers. But then he would press a little further. He would say, okay, but why? Why? Why did God make you to get to heaven? Why did God make you to love and serve others? Why did God make you to be the person God created you to be? Um, and as he kind of pressed further and further, he would then answer for the students, God created you because he thought you might like it. I'll say it again. God created you because he thought you might like it. How beautiful and simple. God didn't have to create you, but he thought you might enjoy this thing called existence. Okay? God thought you might enjoy this thing called life. And so he creates each and every one of us to enjoy the beauty and goodness of life. The first line of the catechism ends with, to make him share in his own blessed life. 
That word blessed is rooted in the ancient Greek word makarios and the Latin word beatus, from which we get the beatitudes. The term makarios was used to describe those who lived in another world far from the problems and worries of others. So those who enjoyed a carefree, happy life. The Latin word beatus or beatitude refers to happiness. So we are made as human beings to enjoy happiness. God creates us so that we, like him, may be happy. And not just in heaven, but starting even now. So when Christ comes to earth and starts his public preaching and teaching, he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God starts now. Because we live in a world marked by original sin, our happiness this side of heaven is punctuated, sometimes even overly colored by suffering and sadness. But we were made for happiness in this life and the next. And so God willing, we'll experience eternal happiness in heaven. But even now, God wills that we experience those glimpses of heaven, a foretaste of what's called the heavenly banquet. The end, the goal, the point of being human is to be happy. So every decision we make, we can see this in our, our human experience, every decision we make is aimed towards this end, this goal, this point of being human, to be happy. We do things we enjoy because we think they will make us happy. So we work hard to make money to buy useful and enjoyable things. We get married and raise a family because we see the joy it has brought to others. We eat ice cream, we go to the beach, we listen to delightful music because we believe that it will make us happy and it often does, which is awesome. Even the bad decisions we make, so for example, lying, doing drugs, cheating on an exam, we make them because we think they will eventually lead to happiness. So we think in lying, we'll spare someone we care about's feelings. We do drugs because we believe we'll escape from the pain for a bit. We cheat on an exam because we think we'll achieve the results needed to move on to the next quote unquote really important part of life that will then make us happy. I once heard this point illustrated in a really great way by Jeff Cavins. Many of you uh, are probably familiar with him, have, have listened to talks or been taught by him. He is a popular Catholic speaker, a theologian, and as he refers to himself as, a revert to the Catholic faith. So he grew up Catholic, left the Catholic Church for a while, and then reverted or came back to Catholicism. He created this program called the Great Adventure Bible Timeline, and when it first came out and parishes were using this program, this Bible study, he would often come to the parish to do a kickoff for this program. And so shortly after uh, college, when I had just started teaching, he came to my home parish and gave a, a day-long presentation to kick off this Bible study that my parish was then going to use. To illustrate this point of human beings being made for happiness, the goal, the end of our humanity being happiness, he used this great analogy. I then plagiarized it and went on to use it many times in my own classes. He said this. He said, uh, one day I bought a new printer and it arrived at my house. I was so excited. I, I opened the box, took it out of its packaging, pushed aside the styrofoam. There was this little manual that came along with it, but I tossed it aside and I was just so excited to use it. Before I used it, I decided that I was going to clean it off. And so I went into my bathroom 
filled up the bathtub with about two-thirds of water, two-thirds of the amount of bathtub of water. And then I took my new printer and I just nestled it right in the tub. Let it soak for a little while, took it out, dried it off, brought it into my office, plugged it in, I went to print, and nothing happened. Okay, nothing came out of the printer. So I called up Hewlett Packard, I said, hi, you know, I just bought this new printer, plugged it in for the first time, and it's not working. So the employee, you know, goes through a, a couple of things with me and said, you know, did you, did you take it out of its packaging? Yes, yes. Did you, you know, plug it in? Yes, yes. Did you read the manual? And I said, well, you know, I'm not really one for manual, so I kind of tossed it aside. Uh, okay, maybe you want to retrieve that manual. Anything else you did to your printer before you used it? I said, yeah, you know, I wanted to make sure it was nice and clean. So I filled up my bathtub uh, with water, popped it in there, dried it off, and then, you know, plugged it in and it didn't work. I'm on the phone, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did that. Well, it's, it's my printer. I can use my printer however I want but it's not working now. So you either owe me a refund or a new printer. You're not gonna reimburse me? Well, fine. And so I hung up the phone. So as he's presenting this analogy, you know, some in the crowd, he, he's telling it in the first person as though this actually happened. And some in the crowd are staring at him wide-eyed like, what were you thinking? When I would use this analogy in my classes, often the first, second week of school, the students who didn't quite know me yet are looking at me like, you are crazy. But it was a great analogy used to illustrate this point. Just like the printer is made to print paper, we as human beings are made to be happy. And just like the printer is made to be used in a certain way, to be used properly so as to achieve its goal, its end, its purpose, and it comes along with a manual, sometimes a few manuals, to explain how to use it properly, how to achieve its end, its goal. We as human beings are made to use our humanity in a certain way. And by the grace of God, our humanity comes with lots of manuals to show us, to instruct us how to use that humanity properly so we can achieve the goal, the end of happiness. So in creating us, God gives us uh, not only things like the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, the Seven Sacraments, prayer, scripture, tradition. He imprints on each and every one of our hearts the natural law, a guidance for how to use our humanity properly so that we achieve the goal or end of our humanity, which is happiness. So that even if we have never encountered Christianity, we didn't grow up in the Catholic Church, when we go to do something, like I mentioned before, cheat on an exam, do drugs, lie to a friend, something inside of us says, mm, that's not right. Mm, I wasn't made to do this. Mm, I don't know that this will lead to the goal, the end of happiness. And so God, just like a printer is made with a goal, an end, and if used properly, achieves that end, God makes us in our humanity with a goal, an end, happiness. And if used properly, if we follow the manuals, we are more likely to achieve that Again, not just in the next life, but in this life as well. So try to set aside thoughts of Zeus and the other Greek gods warring on the top of Mount Olympus for your attention and affection, and picture the God of creation making you out of pure goodness, creating you as a pure gift with no strings attached. He created you because he thought you might like it. God doesn't need you, and while that sounds harsh at first, it's great news because it points to the fact that your life 
and my life and each of our lives are part of a plan of sheer goodness. And we have the opportunity to share in God's own beatitude, his blessedness, his happiness, starting now and lasting, well, forever. Next week, we're going to read through paragraphs 26 through 73. So again, it'll take about 15 minutes. We'll end at a natural break in the catechism. And then we'll discuss how the God of our faith is a God of revelation or a God who reveals, who shows himself to us. Like our topic today, the belief that creation is pure gift and that God doesn't need anything from us. Next week's topic focuses on a slight misunderstanding or a misinterpretation that often sneaks in when it comes to the Catholic faith. And that is that we believe in a God of revelation. Many picture God to be like the Wizard of Oz, this mysterious being behind the curtain, pulling levers and moving parts as ominous fog emerges and a loud voice booms out serious things. But God does not have to, just like he didn't have to create us, God does not have to reveal himself to us or show himself to us, but he does. Why? Because he loves us and he wants us to be in relationship with him. Why? Because that will make us happy and that is great news. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you next week for more reading and discussion of the Catechism. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends, and connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week, and in the meantime, God bless you.